Just Being Honest, the JBH Podcast. Let's rock this. True food, full thought. Today's podcast of the Just Being Honest Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Branch Basics. Branch Basics has created a multi-purpose concentrate that makes cleaning simple, affordable, and sustainable. Finally, finally, oh my gosh, you guys have no idea how long I've been waiting for a product just like this. Their products are refillable and are significantly less expensive than many similar single-use products on the market. So here's how to use Branch Basics. Simply dilute the concentrate with water and you'll be ready to tackle any cleaning job around the house, even your dirty laundry. Seriously. So happy cleaning, folks. And if you'd like to try out this magical and non-toxic concentrate cleaner by Branch Basics, we'd like to offer you a special JBH listener gift. So simply click on the link in the show notes and you'll be guided in the right direction. Voila, you're going to love it. On this episode, number 50 of the Just Being Honest podcast, our guest has embossed an inspirational saying within me, hard work beats talent. Is this true in your mindset? That statement goes to show you that you can create a path out of a passion and just a little grit or maybe a lot of grit. Our guest, Nick Simmons, is an American athlete and entrepreneur. As an athlete, Nick has found much success on the track and in the mountains. A two-time Olympian, Nick competed for the United States in the 2008 and 2012 Olympic Games. Though he has focused on the 800 meters for the majority of his career, he also has a personal best, get this, in the mile of 3 minutes and 56 seconds. What? Seriously. Well, in the mountains, Nick has built up an impressive impressive resume in a very short time. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is a true story, guys. He is currently working on collecting all 50 state high points and has publicly expressed his desire to climb the seven summits, the tallest mountain on each continent. When Nick isn't running or climbing, he can be found working on the business that he has co-founded in 2014. It's called RunGum. Nick currently serves as the CEO for the fast-growing energy company, And you guys, you'll want to really stick around and listen to the end of the podcast to hear every single detail about this innovative company. Once again, it's called RunGum. And something that I kind of constantly wondered as I was interviewing Nick is, and you may be wondering this as well, what? How does Nick have time to perform at optimum level in his athletics and drive multiple projects into successes? How? How? How does one do that? Well, to stay on path, this is his daily question he asks himself, and I believe we should all start asking ourselves the same question. That is, are you prioritizing the things that are important to you accurately? Hmm. Yeah. 
Guys, this is an impactful and life-altering interview that is most perfectly perfect for the start of any new journey that you decide to set out upon. So take this to heart, really and truly. Now let's get running. This is the JBH Podcast. Let's rock and roll, baby. Hi, guys. This is your host, KB. And this is the Just Being Honest Podcast. Happy day to you all. Oh my gosh, I think we made it over the big giant hump of a camel's hump of, well, not only the week um, from where I'm sitting, but the holidays. I have friends that have come up to me that are like, KB, where have you been? Like, I haven't seen you in forever. You know, since November, I'm like, well, guys, the holidays happened. You disappeared. You went with your families, your friends. You went on your vacations. You went skiing. I was working. I was still maintaining my lifestyle, which is kind of nice because I feel like, well, even though you're never going to catch up with work, projects, you name it, I feel like I was just like steady as a, a snail. Is that a good term? Anyways, um... And the upside of that is, like, my health and nutrition goals, like, believe it or not, ha, 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 I don't have, like, I don't have any guilt, you know? But I know many of you out there may have been setting some new goals, some new fitness goals, some new nutrition goals. I've been talking to a lot of you, a lot of clients have come my way. Um, we're setting some amazing tasks to kind of challenge ourselves with. Um, I have a lot of people that are saying, you know, I really want to start getting back on my feet in the form of exercising and running. I want to run a 5k. You know, I have a friend that's training for a marathon right now and she's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. Well guys, I have a treat for you because I have a mega running guru. Can I call you a guru, Nick? Yeah, you can call me a guru or mentor perhaps. Okay. Sometimes how I describe myself on YouTube. A guru mentor. He, okay guys, here, here we go. We're jumping in. We're diving in deep. Nick Simmons is on our show today. He is a former Olympian in running. I want to say, I feel so old school when I say track and field, but that's exactly what it is, track and field. Um, He's not only that, you know, not only a pro athlete, but he's a businessman. He'll talk more about what he's created um, and how he's running that and why he did it. Um, He's also a public speaker. He's a mentor. He's a coach to all. Um, But I want to kind of start on the topic of running because you know as well as I do, Nick, that this is the type of year people are literally like running for their health. Like, shed that weight. I ate too much, you know, turkey, whatever. So let's just jump in. Introduce yourself a little bit. Um, and kind of, uh, tell us a little background story on your running. Yeah. Uh, Nick Simmons, two-time Olympian, the CEO of a company called Run Gum. And I am 35 years old. I started running at the age of 13. So I've been running competitively for over 20 years. Um, and I started running cause I had a crush on a girl mm. and she asked me to go out for the cross country team. And, you know, I thought, well, this would be great. Co-ed practices. I'll get to spend more time with her. Um, and I ended up being a pretty good little runner. So I won uh, nine state titles and seven NCAA titles and got picked up by Nike in 2006. And the rest is kind of history. 
Wow, that was a really fast intro. So it all started <laughs> out with a girl. I actually had it someone else on a podcast, um, Brian Mineo, and he is, you know, a big swimmer, and his career started out with swimming, open water swimming especially, started out with a girl as well. So maybe the females are leading us into, like, you know, just, like, athletic, like, brilliance. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, see, this, this, young, this young lady likes to take credit for my entire career. I'm just joking. But she always said, what would have happened if I hadn't invited you out? And I don't know. Maybe running would have found me later on in life. But I do think that when you look at adolescence, a lot of the decisions that they make, you know, are for the opposite sex. And that's, that's a good thing. You know, trying, is- trying to spend more time with this young lady, trying to impress her is what drove me, yeah. you know, to train so hard when I was young. Yeah, so obviously you guys are still in talks and still friends. Oh, uh, yeah. Awesome. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Boise, Idaho, and it's a really incredible place to be a kid. Um, we've got the mountains, we've got the river, and, you know, I was really, really active. I played at least two sports every single season and didn't, didn't really get into running until, you know, like I said, in high school. But I played soccer, I played ice hockey, mm. I biked, I swam, I, I did literally everything I could do. And I, I, and I always dreamed of being a pro soccer player or pro ice hockey player, but uh, that, that wasn't in the cards for me. So fortunately, you know, running found me. Yeah, so, um, I mean, here's the deal. What people don't know, though, is soccer, you're running the whole time. You're literally running. You probably run, how, how many miles would you say you would run in a game? A midfielder might run anywhere from four to six miles in a game, and I was a midfielder, and I had great speed, great endurance, so I was developing, you know, that that side of my my body um, as a kid, but I never really put it into, you know, a race because I thought, why in the world would we want to go run for fun? That sounds horrible. (laughs) I run when I have to get to a soccer ball. That's not so bad. Um, So I I was a love-hate relationship really early on with it. I didn't love training. I didn't. I really didn't love the races. Um, but I loved winning, and it just felt so good to have people come up and pat me on the back after winning a race. And so I trained my butt off, despite hating it, for that that moment of you know appreciation and and you know I'm trying to impress people. I'll, I'll be honest, I was really trying to impress people. And where do you think that where do you think that rooted from? I mean, like, what was your family dynamics like growing up? How many kids did you have? What pecking order are you? I'm the oldest of two. I have a little sister, and she's a phenomenal athlete as well. Um, You know, and and guys and girls mature differently. So given the two-year age difference, we were pretty much on par, you know, in terms of athletic abilities. My sister could beat me in a race. We played soccer together. Um, We were very competitive. But my parents, uh, who are still married to this day, were very supportive. Um, You know, I always said, if if I came home and said, hey, I want to get into ice hockey, my dad would go out and buy me all the gear I needed to get into ice hockey. If I said, I want to get into golf, he'd go buy me a set of golf clubs. So they supported all of my you know, passions. And I think they were kind of grateful when I said, hey, I want to get into cross country. It only cost a pair of running shoes. And, yeah. and I think they thought that was a nice way to spend an afternoon is, is going out to the cross country course. So that was, that was really nice having you know, that support and that, that nuclear family. Um, but you know, I was the smallest kid in my high school when I started out freshman year. Male or female, I, I was 90 pounds, five feet tall, and with that come a lot of insecurities. And I knew I wasn't going to be the star soccer player that I aspired to be, and and I was desperate to find something that I could be great at. And fortunately, you know, running cross country, running distance, and track and field 
my size didn't matter. And I, I could find that, you know, that ego stroke through kicking people's butts on the track. And that's, that's really what led me to, to persevere despite the fact that I didn't love it. Yeah. You talk about, um, can I call you a late bloomer? Yeah, absolutely. In okay. a lot of ways I was a late bloomer. Yeah. So, um, we're both from, I guess is Idaho pretty much, it's kind of Midwest, right? Uh, people say that I, we consider it more mountain West. Mountain um, West. We're on the West side of the Rockies. So, but, um, mountain West really, you know, like kind of lifestyle and you and I are both in our thirties. We both grew up kind of in the same time zone of outdoors. We didn't have social media, all this technology, right. And the food industry, maybe consumption of that was completely different than what it is now. So, you know, like the way we grew up was a little, probably a little more humble based. Um, yeah, rural for sure. And I think you'll appreciate this. I was raised on a mostly organic diet. And this was in the 90s when you couldn't find organic produce anywhere. Um, but my mom was adamant about raising us on a, on a mostly organic diet. And so she shopped at the Boise Co-op, which was one of the few oh. places you could find organic produce back then. That really sounds amazing. Um, so do your parents still live in Boise? They do, yeah. In the house I grew up in. Oh, how charming. I love it. Right? I want to go. Great. I want to go, like, you know, sit on the big wraparound front porch. Oh, that sounds so amazing. There's a tractor. You can play around on the tractor. I mean, it's – it's. It, I, I always joke, like, you know, two kids. Mom and dad love each other. They're still together. Growing up on a little ranch in Boise, Idaho, I'm like, I, I have the most – quintessential all-american like childhood you could ask for such a lifetime movie it is yeah such a lifetime movie but i want to go back to high school and growing up as a late bloomer and kind of like you wanting to kind of show your worth and show your your like prove yourself um you know you were able to do that on the soccer fields you were able to really show that on the cross country later on bloom into that into like your olympic career was that because um i mean was there anything of being you know teased or anything because of your height and your weight yeah you know looking back on that time in my life high school it wasn't tough but I just knew that there were so many things I wanted in life. I, I wanted girls to like me and I wanted guys to want to be me and I wanted money and I wanted fame and I just didn't know how to, how to get any of these things. And as I started to have success in running, I'm like, Hey, maybe this is it. Maybe this is what's going to take me to the places that I want to go. Um, and I didn't have aspirations of necessarily running professionally at that time, but I knew I could probably at least, you know, get college paid for possibly or, or, uh, you know, it, it just seemed like there was potential there and I needed to see how far I could take that potential. That's amazing. Um, you know, so, so you were staying motivated, you were staying on track. You're probably, you sound like you were a good kid. You didn't get into Pretty too good. much trouble. I got good grades. I didn't get in a lot of trouble. I'm an Eagle scout. So Woo! yeah, I mean, I was, I was, like I said, I was a late bloomer. So I wasn't going on a lot of dates. I wasn't staying out late. Um, you know, I didn't, didn't have a girlfriend or anything. I, I, I lived for sports and awesome. I had a small group of friends and we were just all really into, to being outside and being active and, and focusing on being the best athletes that we could be. Oh my gosh. You rarely hear that these days. I love that because it's kind of like how I was. Um, you knew you, what your passion was, you worked hard for it. So I want to talk about that. We're moving up now. We're moving into, you got a college scholarship. I did, and it actually ended up being an academic scholarship um, to a Division three university. So um, I didn't 
go with the uh, the athletic route because I didn't know how far I wanted to take running. I thought it sounds like a lot of work in college, and maybe I don't want to run for four years. So I went to Division Three University, Willamette University, and got a liberal arts degree there. Um, so I got to be a student athlete and not the other way around. And a lot of these D1 programs, your athletics comes first, and then if you can, you know, get to classes, well, that's a nice bonus. And I had multiple coaches from D1 universities tell me that I couldn't study um, the course of study that I wanted because it would interfere with their practice schedule. And I ultimately got a degree in biochemistry because I wanted to be a doctor. Um, so it, it ended up being the right fit for me at the time. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So you went into biochem and you finished college. And I did, yeah. You finished college and so you still have the biochemistry degree, but all that you advanced when did you have to start deciding whether you wanted to kind of because i'm always very intrigued you know these people that go to the olympics i'm like well how when did you make that decision that you had to go full throttle you know considering i still have in the back of my head nick about this whole oh my gosh the training is agonizing you know like when did yeah, you have to is. decide this or did someone yeah, tell think, you i think everybody when they get to that senior year of college they have that moment of reckoning it's like, oh my gosh, I'm about to be kicked out of this little bubble and I need to figure out how I'm going to survive as an adult. And that hit me really hard the summer before my senior year. And I said, well, I'm either going to get my grades to the, you know, and take the MCAT and go to medical school or I'm going to go all in on this running thing. And I, I just saw so much potential and really untapped potential in running because I hadn't really done everything that I could. I hadn't eaten right. I was part of a fraternity you know, I, I trained kind of, but not at a hundred percent capacity. And I, I thought to myself, if I go all in on this running thing, maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's my calling and I'm young enough to take that risk. So I actually packed my bags and moved to central Mexico, um, to live at 9,000 feet and train with a group of, of professional runners down there, some Kenyans that live down there in, in a city called Toluca. And I lived down there for 12 weeks and I lost 20 pounds and I came back a freaking running machine. And I went from being ranked, you know, barely a hunt top hundred in the U S to being ranked number two in a matter of weeks, um, matter of months, I should say. So, you know, I, I, I always encourage young people take risks, man. You, you're only going to, you know, once you have a kid, once you have kids and a family and a mortgage, you're not going to have the luxury of taking risks. But at 22, 21, rather, when I made that decision, you know, I took that risk and it paid off, you know, and, massive massive dividends for me so how did you find this training camp did you just research it because you said you were with the these were, yeah this was still pretty early days of the internet right and this, this <laughs> is what 20 yeah so me and my buddy just decided we were going to go all in on running and we googled um you know professional you know, first it was altitude we knew we needed altitude so we were looking at you know places with good weather above seven thousand feet and these, this group of Kenyans had kind of been blogging their journey down there. And so we just saw this. I wanted to go abroad, and it just made sense that we were going to pack our bags and go down. It was easy to fly into. You fly into Mexico City, and you drive up another couple thousand feet. So it was inexpensive, which was important. It was at altitude, which was important. Um, and it was, it was overseas, you know, or not overseas necessarily, but abroad, which was important to me as well. So, so okay, because we all know that, I mean, it's – I'm trying, really trying not to be like judgmental, stereotypical, but the Kenyans are like amazing at running. So was it that they were teaching you stuff or were there just general coaches that were teaching you stuff? No coaches. This was all kind of self-driven, but we watched the Kenyans and saw how they spent their days and how they structured their miles and the kind of workouts they were doing. 
Um, you know, in Kenya, the national sport isn't football. It's not soccer. It's distance running. So the entire country, you know, is obsessed with distance running. It's how a lot of their stars are, are you know, lifted out of poverty. Um, so the entire country is, is into it. And their, their Olympic gold medalists um, in the 5K and 10K and marathon are, are like, you know, are, you know, Tom Brady's basically. So we just, we just shadowed them. We spent afternoons having tea with them and asking them questions about training and massage and, and competition. And so we really structured our miles, um, you know, the way we always had, cause we didn't want to get injured, but it was interesting to just see how they lived their lives, how they went all in on their running goals. Okay. So I know that, you know, everyone obviously has different DNA makeups and they are, they, their DNA makeup is like, propels them to be great runners, you know, just like certain DNA makeups may make people better swimmers, what have you. Can you share with us um, some of their tricks? Maybe you said you literally like shadowed them and watched how they structured their day, their mileage, what they did, um, perhaps recovery. Can you share with us kind of like a day in that life? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a genetic factor in athletics. You know, if you're born... Five five, you're probably not going to play in the NBA, right? So there's always a genetic factor, and I I won the genetic lottery, but we like to say that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So you've got to take that talent. The talent has to work its butt off, and then that's what creates an Olympian. Um, so while we were down there, we're watching these pro runners, and I think what really impressed me the most was their ability to rest. Their ability to just sit around and do absolutely nothing when they weren't training. And that's how they spent their days. They'd wake up, they'd have, you know, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and they'd go for a easy 30-minute shakeout run. And then they'd come back and have a breakfast and, you know, kind of just stretch out and, and structure their day. But, you know, late late morning, like 10, 30, 11, they were, they were working out hard. I'm talking like 10 to 15 miles a session hard. And they'd come back and eat a huge meal and then nap all afternoon and maybe go for a little swim or a lift or another easy run in the evening. And, and that's what I, I mean. I, I, I never did triples in my life. There were a, a many days that I did doubles, actually the majority of days I'd do two workouts a day. But these guys were doing three workouts a day. And the only way they were able to get enough energy to do that is by just literally sitting on their butt and watching TV or sleeping if they weren't running. It, it was truly eat, sleep, run. There was not a <laughs> single distraction in their day. That's what I was totally going to say, like eat, sleep, run. What did they eat? Anything I could get their hands on. Oh, really? I mean, when, you're, when you're running that many miles, 140 miles a week, you just can't get enough calories. But, you know, we were down in central Mexico, so everything's very farm to table, very fresh. It was a lot of uh, platos caminados, a lot of huevos rancheros, you know, just, I mean, truly anything you get your hands on, you, you make these massive, massive meals. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you left that camp, you came back and then what was your next step from there on out? You had to make a decision. Well, I had my senior year and I went from being like a three, nine student to about a two, five student, my senior year. Um, that's, that's just my GPA. Um, and it's because I just kind of didn't care about classes. I said to myself, Hey, I've decided I'm going all in on running. I can always come back and retake these classes if I need to. But right now I get one shot at this running thing. And, and, you know, I, like I said, I went from being maybe top, top hundred to top 50 in the U S to number two in the United States that year. And that got the attention of, you know, Nike and Reebok and, and the other big players at the time. And I ultimately decided to go with Nike and moved from Salem where I was going to school 
down to Eugene, Oregon, where this new Nike Pro team was being formed. And it was kind of a dream come true. I wasn't making a lot of money, but it was enough to pay my bills and allow me to continue to go all in on running. And, you know, taking those lessons that I had learned down in central Mexico from the Kenyans, I, I went to the, I, it was eat, sleep, run. You know, I mean, that's all I did for the first couple of years as a pro. So, okay, so you're training with the Nike team. You're all in. And how long were you with the Nike team until you were with them the whole time until you went to the Olympics? Or you had to go to the trials first, correct? Yeah, so I came out of school in 06, and the Olympic trials were in 08. So two years with that team. Okay, so, oh, so were you, okay, Wow, I'm getting way too ahead of myself, but I'm getting very excited, Nick. So tell me about your Olympics, because you trained your butt off. I had, I've had a couple of other Olympians on here, and, you know, we watched the Olympics, and we think, oh my gosh, it's so glamorous. Like, I, I want to do that. Which sport would I pick? But I've heard the other side, and I've heard about the training and kind of some loneliness. You know, maybe people have had other experiences. But tell us about your experience on the training aspect and then actually, like, qualifying and getting to the Olympics and what that was like. Yeah, you know, I think that obviously <laughs> it's glamorized and, and you only see the magical moments that take place on the competition field. There's a lot of sacrifice and hard work and frustration that goes into those moments. I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. I mean, I, I, it's open doors for me. It, it's um, that incredibly memorable experience, both, both Olympic games that I went to, um, you know, but it, it's not all bells and whistles and roses. Um, the, the IOC and the USOC do a very poor job taking care of our athletes. Most of them live below the poverty line and are, you know, go through serious depression when they finish their, their Olympic games. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's, again, I wouldn't trade it, but it's, it's, it's not all, you know, sunshine and lollipops. Yeah. Um, cause you went to the 2008 Olympics and the 2012 Olympics. So the 2008 was Beijing, right? Correct. And then 2012 was London. That's right. Yeah. London. London. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So tell us about those experiences and the difference of it because 2008, Eight, Beijing, we all know that there's bad, bad air quality there. So was the dome, was it inside? No, but they had done what's called seeding the air, um, which allows it to precipitate out. So the air wasn't as bad. It, it, I mean, it was, it was immediately went back to being horrible as soon as the Olympics were over. But while we were there, it was quite nice. They'd really cleaned up the city. And it was cool in that it was a real, you know, foreign experience. Um, but given that, it was also... I didn't know what to, how to prepare, and I was so nervous, and I, I bombed out in the semifinals, but I, I said to myself, I want another chance at this. Yeah. And so I signed another four-year deal with Nike and trained for the 2012 Olympics, and I knew what to expect and did much better there. I actually made the finals and finished fifth in, the, in those games. Amazing. Um, so which, if you had to go back to, I mean, obviously you you finished fifth in the 2012, but both different, completely different cultures. Which one did you kind of like, I don't know, relate to more or just love more? Well, I've competed in 34 different countries on, on most continents. So I, I've been immersed in many, many cultures. I think um, I love the Chinese culture and I love going to China, but something about competition, you want things that are familiar to you. To you. And London, where I used to base um, every summer, kind of felt like a second home. So when I was there, I felt so much more comfortable 
and comfort is essential when you're trying to perform at your best. So mm -hmm. you know, I, I liked both experiences. They were very different. But for me, the London games were more of that. Here's an opportunity for me to really show the world what I'm capable of. And I ran my personal best there. I ran the fastest time that I'd ever run in my life in those games. Why do you think that is? It goes back to the comfort thing, but also just rising to the occasion. You know, as I stood on that starting line of the Olympic finals, that, that is the Super Bowl. I mean, there is, no le there is no competition higher in our sport than an Olympic final. And I looked, you know, up into the crowd of 90,000 people and I looked into the television camera and I knew there were over 1.5 billion people watching that race. And I just said, this is it, Nick. You spent, you know, 10 years of your life, no, 15 years of your life at that point trying to get there. Don't waste this opportunity. And the amount of adrenaline pumping through your veins in a moment like that allows you to do, you know, superhuman things. Crazy, crazy. Because you know what? With my with my coaching, you know, it's all about, like, mental awareness too. And, like, we all know as um, just human beings, I think, we can completely self-sabotage ourselves. And for you to look in that camera, I mean, that would spook me out if I was like, don't screw this up. I'd be like, <laughs> you know, but you know, you really do have to pump yourself up, you know, just in life in general. And so moving on from there, you had mentioned that the Olympic, I want to say council, um, you know, I've heard from many Olympians that like, after you leave the Olympics, it's kind of like, okay, bye. Like, you know, they, they don't, they don't really help set you up for any sort of success thereafter. Um, Not really at all. Yeah. And, and, it's a shame because they're bringing in millions and millions, right. sometimes billions of dollars on the hard work of the athletes. You know, they pimp them out to sponsors and they share almost zero of that money with the athletes and do very little to help them once once the games are over. So I, I never miss an opportunity to tell the world that the IOC and the USOC are a bunch of thieves. Wow. I mean, so did you fall into a depression after um, the Olympic Games? Like, what, what did you feel about your identity at that point? You know, I was still in the prime of my career after both games. So, no, I, I mean, I was depressed that I didn't win a medal. I really wanted a medal. But I, I literally took a, a, about a month off and drank some beers and went fishing. And then I picked myself up and started training again because in track and field, there's a world championship every other year. And so I said, yeah, I didn't win a medal in this one, but I, I have a world championships in nine months that I need to start preparing for. So I was fortunate in that in track and field, there are, there are competitions year-round. But, you know, if you're uh, if you're in another sport, you know, you don't get paid except the Olympic years. You know, no one's paying attention to, to fencing except once every four years, unfortunately. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. So, okay. So, kaput. Kaput on the Olympics, right? Let's move on. We're climbing mountains now. Um, now, did your mountain climbing, guys, he climbs mountains. Like, you've got to go on his website and just see some of these photos. You mentioned you were you were an Eagle Scout, so you probably started some outdoor adventures then. But, um, but tell us about that. Like, did that transition kind of after the Olympics? And, and what, what type of gratification do you get from climbing a mountain? I always knew I wanted to climb big mountains. I, I got into climbing, living in Boise and being an Eagle Scout. You're right. Um, but I kind of had to put that on the back burner while I was running professionally just because it's so risky and, and I couldn't afford to get injured. But as I saw my running career ending, I knew I would need new goals. Um, I'm a very goal-driven person. And if they weren't going to be running goals, then, then I thought, well, now's my chance to start climbing all the mountains I wanted to climb. 
So and it kind of started as a what's called state high pointing, and I I got this this idea in my head that I was going to climb to the top of every state, and now I've climbed to the highest points in 25 states, and some of the harder ones like Mount Rainier in Washington and Mount Hood in Oregon. So what about the highest point in Kansas? Uh, it is Mount Sunflower. It's not <laughs> particularly high. You can actually drive to it. It's in a guy's cow pasture, but I have visited it. No way. Where, wait, so where is it? It's, it's on the very, very far western side of the state, um, right on the border with Help me out here. Is it Colorado? Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. North. Yeah. Is it north? Um, northwest. Northwest corner. Yeah. That would be my guess. Um, wow, Sunflower Mountain or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's kind of cool. There's a bunch of little sunflowers there, and there's a log book, and you, like a, if you're getting into state high pointing, it's it's a nice one to begin with because there really is no climbing at all. You just drive to it and take a picture. <laughs> well. I'm glad you. I'm glad you conquered that one, um, guys. I'm from Kansas. You know that. Um, so you've wait. So how many summits have you summited? Twenty five of fifty in my state, um, high pointing. But then I also try to climb to the top of every continent, and I have two of seven on on that one. Um, Mount uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. I climbed last year. And I also climbed Karsten's Pyramid in Papua New Guinea um, in February of last year. And I'm currently working on an expedition to uh, climb Mount Elbrus in the Urals, which is the tallest one in Europe. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. So what type of endurance training does this take? And do you go – do you have, like, a group that you're doing this with? Or are you completely solo? No, I climb I climb with teams. It's a lot safer that way, especially if you're traversing glaciers. You really need to be roped up with a team. Um, you know, on, on the state, state high pointing, you know, on the safer mountains, I, of course, don't mind soloing those. But, um, like, when I go to Denali in Alaska, that will tick two boxes. It's the tallest point in Alaska, but it's also the tallest point in North America. So that's a, a really big expedition I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, it's, it's the training's different. Um, you know, you're not, you're not trying to cover two laps of the track in a minute and 44 seconds. You're trying to climb tens of thousands of vertical feet in a course of weeks. So very, very different training. That's crazy. Like, I can't even imagine that. And, like, the mental aspect, it's almost like, would you say it's almost like a survival training too? Yeah. When you're on these mountains, a lot of times you have to bring everything that you need to survive for weeks at a time. So, you know, on Denali, you'll have a 80-pound pack and a 25-pound sled behind you. And whatever you have on your back, that needs to get you up and down without dying. It's 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 uh, intense and it can be scary, but there's something very peaceful about it in in our world as consumers. You know, I'm looking at around my house and I'm surrounded by all this stuff that I don't really need necessarily. When I go on expedition, that knife or that lighter, my life depends on that lighter. You know, that little yeah. big lighter that cost me 45 cents at the grocery store. My life might depend on that. It's yeah. a pretty powerful moment to take yourself out of, you know, the, the world that we have built up for ourselves here in, in our um, urban lives and, and go back to what we really need to survive. Oh, my gosh. So you are definitely, Nick, what I would call a doer. Like, you you are just like, you're an achiever. Um, and I, I get bored easily. I, I don't know that. 
everyone always says that, like, how do you have the energy? You know, you're, you're, you're a real go-getter. I'm like, no, I just can't sit still. Like, I, I really struggle to sit down and, and just sit still and not do something. I, I don't know if it's, you know, minor ADD or what, but I just, I, I need to be moving and working and I, I don't know where that comes from, but I, I feel uh, compelled to just be doing something. Well, you told even me. if it's stupid stuff like you know mowing the lawn or something, I just needed to be doing something. Well, you you kind of mentioned that like in your childhood, you had that that need to like kind of give like the gratification, get the gratification, say like yo, like you wanted to have the praise of the completing that task at like the very best that you could, you know. And I think like you're one to like really challenge yourself and see how much you can handle. Am I like correct on that? Yeah. And sometimes I bite off more than I can chew. You know, when yeah. I, when I jumped into running, I, it was a lifelong process, but you know, I, I kind of knew I wanted to see how good I could get. And in business, I did the same thing. I had absolutely no business background in consumer packaged goods when I started my company run gum. And I just said, Hey, let's do this and we'll figure it out as we go along. And we took this concept that I had in my my brain for energy gum, and we built it into a multi million dollar business. But that this wasn't me going and getting an MBA from Stanford and then doing it. I just said, hey, we'll figure it out as we go along, and and that's what we've done. Okay, let's get into this game. So you are you an you're obviously an athlete that chews gum when they run, right? Not exactly. No. Um, so I was sponsored by Nike. I mentioned that, but I was also sponsored by several energy drink companies. And I would drink their energy drinks, and I would really, truly feel all the energy and focus that they claim to give. But I'd have this 16-ounce carbonated, sugary, acidic liquid sloshing around in my stomach, which is the last thing any athlete Ugh. wants before they work out. Yeah. And so I just thought to myself, why are all these energy companies making me drink something? I'm not thirsty. I just want the energy. And I studied biochemistry at Willamette, as I mentioned, and I knew that the stimulants in these energy drinks – could be absorbed through the lining of the gums if we could find a way to deliver it that way. So much the way that Nicorette uses chewing gum to deliver nicotine to the system sublingually, we use chewing gum to deliver caffeine, taurine, and B vitamins, the stimulants that make you feel alert um, to the system. So we call it run gum. Um, it's for anyone on the run, whether you're running errands <laughs> or running into a meeting or actually out on a run, it's going to give you that energy and focus that you need. Okay, so from... Like, when did this click? Were you on a run when you thought about this idea? or <laughs> I mean, No, I was literally, pur like, purging my stomach of an energy drink into a garbage can after oh, a race. And you're like, this and has got to be better. I'm yeah, I'm like, I'm like, there's got to be a better way. And I kind of just, I, I'm sure I saw a commercial for Nicorette or some other functional chewing gum. And I'm like, that's it. That is, it's lightweight. Um, it doesn't freeze. You can carry it with you on a run. You can take it through TSA. I'm like, everything that I want in a product this could be it. And we found a contract manufacturer that could do it for us. And me and my business partner, who was my coach at the time, Sam, we just, we both looked at each other and said, let's do this. We wrote checks. We bought a million pieces of caffeinated energy gum, put it in packaging, called it run gum. And the rest is history. We're in nearly every running specialty store. We're nationwide in Target. We're nationwide in REI. You can find us on Amazon. Um, and people, once they try it, they're like, why didn't I think of this? This is such a better way to get energy. And they become lifelong customers. We have some customers that have been with us from literally the day that we launched in 2014. Oh my gosh. Four years. Four I years. Know. Wait, can you tell me though? Because you have a bio okay, biochemistry degree. Did you guys actually have to like you said you had to meet with a chemist to create this concoction? 
I had been tinkering around a bit, but building it in my garage, you know. You built the gun? I built a prototype, but doing it at scale, making a million pieces, you know, cost effectively, we had to find what's called a contract manufacturer to do that. Right, right. And also for it to be like, you know, FDA approved, right? Is it FDA approved or how does this work? I don't know. The way the way FDA approval works in our category is that our ingredients have FDA approval and our manufacturer has an FDA approval. So by the Got transitive it. property of FDA approval, we as a product have FDA approval. Got it. That makes sense because there's no topic of caffeine gum that... It's pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah. What a niche. Most of our marketing dollars go into teaching people what it is and how to use it because they've never heard of it. If if we had just created another energy drink, people were like, well, I know what an energy drink is. We have to explain to them, this is why an energy gum is so much better. And when they see the price point, we're about, you know, 33% less expensive than energy drinks because we don't have to pay for heavy freight to ship liquids across the country. They go, wait a minute, the same boost it's more affordable. It's faster. It's up to five times faster because of the sublingual absorption. But like this is the, this is ten times better than energy drinks, and we are just stealing market share left and right from energy drink companies because of it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I bet. But I'm just trying to think because I like I'm such Nick. I'm such an ingredient girl. Like I will look at ingredients. I will like be like ah, oh, you know. So how are you trying to make your product like? as unique or, you know, just different from other products besides the fact that it has caffeine, but also one that you can say, like, it's not, it's not a harmful gum. Cause we all know that there's some gums out there that are just like plain old, like not good for your gut. Yeah. Well think about it this way, right? You've got all these kids out there and they're drinking energy drinks every day. And those energy drinks are loaded with sugar. They're mm-hmm. loaded with things that we can't pronounce, you know, and calories, and they're just so bad for you. I mean, the niacin alone has been linked to several, you know, issues with Mm -hmm. with young people drinking too much of it. So look at the run gum list, right? Caffeine, taurine, B vitamins. We're zero sugar. We're zero calories. We're gluten-free. We're vegan. I mean, we hit all of the talking points that people are looking for in products these days. It's truly the much – it's not only – more affordable, but it's better for you than a lot of alternatives. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, you won me. You won me there. I mean, I'm I'm the only downside that I have to gum for me personally is that for some reason I just I bloat when I have gum, and that's just I, I don't me. know what ingredients doing that to you, but hopefully, run gum doesn't. Well, I haven't um, I haven't tried run gum yet, and I need to. I bet you it's one of the artificial sweeteners that most gums use. It probably is. I don't actually. Yeah, that's probably why I don't have gum a lot. But um, or maybe because I just chew rampantly because I'm like oh, I like a little a little bunny. But no, I'm looking at your stuff, and I'm like, wow, cool. Like you guys have really done yourself like a round of applause for you. Keep it up. Um, and this is great because it's safe for like all age groups. It is. And I don't, we don't market to children because I don't know that kids need caffeine, caffeine. necessarily, mm-hmm. but from ages 18 and up, I mean, college kids love this. They're studying hard. They're playing hard. They need a boost. Um, working people really love it. Like for me, I, I created it when I was actually working out, but I don't work out like I used to. And, and I eat a lunch at noon and by 1 PM I'm, all I want to do is take a nap, but I don't have that luxury. So I chew a packet of run gum at 1 p.m. and it gives me the energy I need to be very productive through the end of the day. Hilarious. So people, I just say, hey, buy a few packs. Like I said, it's very affordable. You can find a single serving at Target, 
um, in the sporting goods aisle, or you can buy a 12-pack from us at rungum.com or on Amazon. Find out how you use it best and let us know um, via social media. We're across all platforms at Rungum. I'll do my investigation. Um, so I'm, you know, how cool it is that you guys literally bootstrapped this and turned it into like a multi-million dollar company. Like round of applause. Like I can tell in your voice, like how passionate you are about it. I can also tell how knowledgeable you are about it. Like just, I mean, concocting a prototype in your garage. Like what? Like it goes back. It goes back to what I learned in running. You know, I didn't get to be an Olympian by kind of thinking maybe I'll try this. I got there by packing my bags and moving to Central Mexico and studying and training my butt off. I went all in. With run gum, it's the exact same thing. You know, I live in Eugene, Oregon, and I'm 35, and, and maybe I prefer to be in in Seattle or Los Angeles or you know San Francisco. This is where my business is. This is where I need to be. Um, I'm all in on run gum. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm proud of you. So let's let's jump into, so we, we did the pro athlete, we did the businessman. Now, what are you a public speaker? Like, how are you encouraging and how are you mentoring other people? For me, I just remember how lost I was at various points in my life, whether it was at 14 when I didn't know how I was going to be great at something or, you know, when it was uh, 21 when I was scared of, Hey, what's this next chapter in life? How do I how do I be a functioning adult and, and pay bills and, and support myself? Or again, you know, in my late in my early 30s when I was transitioning away from running towards a, a new chapter in my life, those transition points were really really hard for me, um, and I know they're hard for everybody. And and what I try to do when I speak to sales teams and businesses or or you know college groups um, of runners or high school groups of runners is just say, are you are you prioritizing your um the things that are important to you correctly you know i i keep a list of my priorities in order from one through ten next to my bed so i can say hey i'm, I'm allocating time and energy to priority number 10 when i need to be putting it towards priority number one um and then and then i really preach about going all in people people understand the power of that but they don't know what it actually takes to do it and i have dozens and dozens of case studies that I like to show people, people who have taken that plunge and have gone all in and what that has done for their career um, in business or in sport or in life. Um, it's so powerful. It's so freeing because once you go all in, there are, there are no more distractions. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a doer. It's literally jumping into the deep end and not knowing how to swim. You either drown or you get to the edge. And what happens is nine out of 10 people figure out how to swim. 99 out of 100 actually figure out how to swim because there's no other option. Oh my gosh. You drown or you get to the edge. You drown or you get to the edge. That's like literally sticking with me all day. But um, I want to ask a question. So what type of advice would you give to someone that says, Nick, I want to go all in on this. This is my passion, but I have to pay the bills. I have to have these two other gigs um, you know, and pay attention to those as well. What do I do? Well, I, I think we sit, we, we put have tos in our minds very easily. And what's a real have to go back to the guy sitting on a, the side of a mountain, you know, with a 45 cent big lighter, he has to have that lighter or he's not going to have fire. Right. Right. Um, in America, we're conditioned to these have tos. I have to have this house. I have to have this car. I have to you know, go out to dinner three nights a week to be happy. What do we really need? I, I know I know some people 
that are very, very happy living on a thousand dollars a month. No, they don't drive a, a you know brand new car. They drive a beat up old Honda Civic that gets them from point A to point B. If you if you really want it, if you really want to succeed, if you really want to go all in on something, be that person sitting on a side of a mountain that has stripped down all of their needs into what can fit in a backpack. I'm not saying you have to live like a poor person. I'm not saying you have to live out of the back of a car. What I'm saying is I guarantee there are things that you can strip out of your life that are wants, not needs, and put all your wants into that one basket. I wanted to be an Olympian, so I stripped out everything in my life that I didn't need to become an Olympian. I wanted to be an entrepreneur with a multi-million dollar company, so I stripped out everything in my life that I didn't need to get to that place. Um, I think every single one of us has something that they can strip out of their life that would be uh, maybe not helping them towards their ultimate goal. Perfectly said. I you you are like literally bringing tears to my eyes because it's so true, and we are our own worst like self sabotagers, as I said before, of why we're not <laughs> diving into our goals um, or meeting those aspirations. Um, yeah, you know, there's this meme that goes that gets circulated every few years, and I love it. It's a it's a picture of Ti, and he's sitting in like a throne. Uh, you know, Ti the rapper. Yeah, and and it's a quote, and he says. Y'all are out here every Friday and Saturday night spending money on booze, partying, but you're not at where you're not where you want to be in life. What exactly are you celebrating? And mm. I just oh, it hit me so hard mm. when I saw that. I love it. I absolutely love it. We need to enjoy the life that we're living, but but if we're not where we want to be at in life, then why are we out at a bar at 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning? That's not helping you get where you want to be in life. And trust me, I'm a guy who spent a lot of time in bars and, and more nights and dollars than I care to count, uh, you know, consuming alcohol and, and just partying and living it up. But when I saw that, when I realized that those nights weren't helping me become Olympian, they weren't helping me become uh, the best entrepreneur I could be, or the best family man that I could be, I, I cut those out pretty quick. And I, I can't remember the last time I shut down a bar and I really don't miss it. Amazing. It's like, you should be at sleep, refueling, recovering yourself for the next day of like passion fulfilling, right? And whether it's work or play, you know, like exactly. I, I get up every morning at 5 a.m. And if people want to go out late on a Friday night, I'm like, I, I wish I could, but I'm fishing tomorrow. I'm getting up at 5 a.m. to go fishing. And then it makes me just as happy as, as you know, and fulfilled as the work that I do. So I, 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 I'm not saying, you know, that's the lifestyle that everyone needs to live. But I do, I do say every one of us can take a look at our lives and find some, you know, minutia that we can cut out that will allow us to be focused more on our, on, on what's really going to make us happy. Well, and Nick, you could probably agree with me that when you say those words to people, like I am waking up at five because of this and they're like, Oh, you're not, you know, blah, 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 going out with us. Um, you really quickly find out your support system and who is meant to be in your life. Um, by your standards that you're setting upon yourself and your lifestyle. So, um, I yeah, think and, and you surround yourself with people that appreciate, you know, what's important whether it's family or, you know, um, your friends that want to see you successful. Yeah. I have friends that want to go get drunk every Friday night. And, and I say to them, you guys should go drink all you want and nothing against it. I'll probably have a couple pops myself on Friday night, but I'm going to bed at nine cause I'm getting up at five. And if you're not okay with that, then 
you know, go find somebody else to be friends with. Yeah. But, but what they see is they see the sacrifice, they see the dedication, and then they see the results. And more often than not, they, they come to me and they say, Nick, how do I, how do I tackle my big goals now? Yeah, for sure. Round of applause. Okay, well, so we're going to tackle a couple of other things, but we have one more question for you, and we're going to let you literally, haha, no pun intended, like run. Um, but I want to, before that, I kind of want to plug some things for you. Um, what are some projects that you're working on right now? Well, you can find me across social media at Nick Simmons. That's Simmons with a Y. Um, lately, I've gotten really into YouTubing. Um, it's mostly running focused. I, I realize that I have this wealth of knowledge from co- running competitively for 20 years. And so I'm trying to pass that knowledge on in, in the form of some educational and inspirational videos on YouTube. Uh, so just go to YouTube, type in Nick Simmons. You'll find it real quickly. Um, aside from that, growing run gum is a huge priority. Um being a great boyfriend is important to me. I, I didn't really have a chance to be a great boyfriend when I was running professionally because I was abroad um, traveling and, and competing for half the year. Um, and now I'm in a great relationship with a wonderful girl named Tiana. And Aww. we've been dating for three years. And I'm actually able to be in one place and be a great boyfriend. So that's been really rewarding as well. Um, and just spending more time with my family and friends is, is important to me. Oh, you just like melted my heart. I rarely hear people say, I want to be a great boyfriend. Like you got to work at it. I mean, she's it's, it's, the luckiest. <laughs> she's yeah. the luckiest. Well, she is, but you know what? I met her at the right time in my life. Cause if I had met her when I was running competitively, it probably wouldn't have worked out. Yeah, for sure. Or you would have met the wrong type of girl. Can I ask you really, really quickly? What's your sign? Uh, Capricorn. You're a Capricorn. What's her sign? Uh, what comes before Capricorn? Sagittarius. Yeah, I think she's a Sagittarius. What's the cutoff date on that? I think November, uh, December 21st, 22nd? Yeah, so she's she's December 17th and I'm December 30th. Yeah, so I think we're split right, right there. Yeah. Aww. Well, I can kind of tell you're a Capricorn, actually. Um, okay, <laughs> Nick, are you ready? We have one I'm more ready. question for you. Okay. Nick. What is your honest truth that has led you on a path to success in maintaining a healthy lifestyle? Um, that I'm my own worst enemy. Once, once I recognized that, that I have certain weaknesses and, and that no one is forcing alcohol down my throat, no one's forcing me to eat that double cheeseburger, um, you know, then, then I take control of it. It's not to say that I won't have alcohol. It's not to say that I won't have a cheeseburger, but I'm making that choice. No mm-hmm. one's making that choice for me, and I think that's a very powerful realization. Yeah, so owning the power of excuses that you could make, right? Of- yeah, and we all make excuses. And, and, and again, it's okay to make excuses. Just recognize that you're doing it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so my friend, we are going to let you dash, but we are eternally, eternally grateful that you were able to share some of your knowledge, your history, your motivational tips. Um, wow, you really got me fired up. Like, talk about inspiration. So that's what we aim to do at Run Gum. We always say our our mission in life is twofold. It's to fuel and inspire people to make the most of their busy days. We fuel them with our, you know, revolutionary energy product, but we go one step further and we try to inspire people, you know, like I said, to, to just tackle their goals and make the most of their days. And if you follow Run Gum or if you subscribe to our email database, um, you're going to see that we really try to motivate and inspire people at the same time. My friend, you are brilliant. We will have all of your information on our show notes. 
and people can definitely link up to you, buy a pack of gum. Guys, remember, it's a Target. How easy is that? Um, and the sporting goods aisle. In the sporting goods aisle. So perfect for the new year, too, because we all know you're going to be in the sporting goods aisle anyways. Um, your goals, yeah. For sure. Nick, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Guys, guys, we are on Spotify at Just Being Honest. We are also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Simplecast FM. Join us here every Monday as we share some knowledge with you, some inspiration as Nick did today, and just some uh, fun little giggles and gaggles. Um, until next time, be you. Smile and hug a friend. Oh, until next time, kiss, kiss, hug, hug, peace, love, ciao. Can we all just digest that conversation that I just had with Nick Simmons? I mean, seriously, talk about a go-getter. I think, you know, we're living in such an age of I'll do that later or someone else will do it or maybe I can't do that or, you know, self-sabotage, as I said before. But why not do it? You talked about setting your priorities straight. So do it. Write down your goals, write down your dreams, and take a step in that next direction. Oh, man. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and for just riding this train with me, just being honest with all those people out there. So it's time to be honest with yourself. It's 2019. Don't miss a beat of it. Thanks for tuning in.